0: Hi there, I'm Lori Hellman. I am mom to Skylar who is an incredible adult son with severe nonverbal autism. My goal when creating the Living the Sky Life podcast four years ago was that the content of each episode bring hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways to each listener. In sharing the many relatable caregiver stories and experiences, I hope that you never feel like you have to travel your parenting journey alone. If you haven't already, Please connect with me through my Facebook page, Welcome to My Life, Skylar's World, or Instagram, Welcome to My Life, underscore Lori Hellman. And let's keep the conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, could I ask a favor that you please leave a rating and a written review and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in and subscribing to Season 4 of Living the Sky Life. Hello, everyone. Since you're currently listening to Living the Sky Life, hopefully that means that you've listened to other episodes and you really like what you've heard and you are now a subscriber. If you are tuning in for the first time, I highly encourage you, if you like the style and the conversations that I have on the podcast, please hit that subscribe button and follow along every... Thursday, generally, I drop a new episode, Um, so I appreciate all of the subscribers and the continued listeners. I also want to remind everyone um, that if you haven't yet picked up my book on Amazon, it's called Welcome to My Life. A personal parenting journey through autism. I really think it helps add to the conversations that I have with several other parents on here, um, and just a little bit more about me and our journey through autism with my son Skyler, who is 19 years old. So, if you haven't had a chance to read the book, I highly encourage you to pick it up. Pick it up. Um, so, on to today's guest. Julie Swanson is the parent of her son Alex, a 28-year-old. With autism spectrum disorder. Julie also is a special education advocate helping secure appropriate services for students with disabilities. Julie founded the Life Skills Lady, which is a website devoted to the critical link between life skills and increased adult outcomes in autism. Julie is also the author of Your Special Education Rights, What Your School District Isn't Telling, and the companion website YourSpecialEducationRights.com a video-based website that helps parents understand their rights under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. I will link up, of course, all of the uh, ways to communicate with Julie and to um, navigate around on her website and find her book and all the things that Julie is into, which we will unpack in our discussion. So please enjoy my conversation today with Julie Swanson. So welcome back to another episode of Living the Sky Life. My guest today is Julie Swanson. So Julie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Lori, for having me. Absolutely. I, um, as I've kind of said in um, a few episodes and, and on social media, I'm really in search of a lot of parents and caregivers with children, and I still call them children, but they're adult children that are mm-hmm. um, much older than Skylar because um, for one, I mean, adult resources and and information about adults on the spectrum is scarce as we know. And, um, I, I really want to tap into what other parents are doing and ideas that they have. Um, and you have quite a lot going on with your website, your book, um, and all the resources that you provide. So, um, I'm really excited to tap into all of that, but, um, I guess going backwards, um, your son, Alex is 28. Um, uh, it was diagnosed back in 97 at the age of three, I'm not gonna ask you to go all the way back and talk about his diagnosis and all of that because we're well past all of that. Um, But you know, what I do want you to share with everybody is what it was like in the late nineties to get a diagnosis of autism when it still was relatively untalked about and you probably felt like you were alone, I'm guessing.
1: Well, let me put it to you this way. It was before social media, it was before Mm -hmm. the internet um, I remember, you know, I, 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 you know, I said to my husband around that time, do you think we should get a computer, you know, because, you know, they were just up and coming, right? And we're like, oh, I don't know. They're awfully expensive. I had to look up autism in a set of 1930s, 40s, 50s. They were a red set of encyclopedias at my local library. Wow. And that was not a pretty description on oh, sure. that Set of encyclopedias, and um, that's that's how I that's how I was introduced to autism. I had to look it up in a set of encyclopedias, and it was when nobody had. I call them the dinosaur days, or just I mean, it, nobody. I didn't know anybody who had autism. I didn't even know what autism was. It wasn't in the vernacular that it is today. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so. it's definitely a common common uh, diagnosis and you know, people, most people will say they know somebody or are related to somebody that's on the spectrum. So, um, even later adults are getting diagnosed, you know, later in life now too. So it's, um, it's become the thing. Um, so when Alex was, um, you know, in school, did he, was he in a public school system or did he have, um, like a special education class all through his schooling years or how did that go? Great question.
1: Great question. So, um, When Alex was getting out of the birth to three system, and I'm sure every state calls it something different, Mm -hmm. but, you know, you know, when you, he was, he was in birth to three and then he became eligible for special education services. And we went to the school district. And prior to that, I had at my own expense, I live in Connecticut. There was not one board certified behavior analyst in the entire state of Connecticut. And. I had found out about you know applied behavior analysis and we set up a whole you know school in my basement and I had to recruit a, a BCBA from Rutgers down in New Jersey to set up a home program which I had in my basement and and Alex was really learning it was it was very um effective and he was making great progress against himself and so when we got into the school system we requested ABA programming. Not only did they, (laughs) right. Yeah. Not only did they, you know, ABA, what's ABA. Okay. And so we very quickly found ourselves in a disagreement with the school district. Mm -hmm. And I had to hire an attorney and bring a hearing against the district to get my son outplaced in the school that he went, we unilaterally placed him there, meaning at our own expense. So we were paying, uh, well, back then it was $5,000 a month for tuition, $5,000, it was about $5,000 a month for the attorney. Now I realize that not every person can do this. Mm-hmm. By the way, nor could we. We tapped into parents, Mm -hmm. we tapped into the generosity of our family who said, we're going to shepherd you through this. And we went to a hearing. In that hearing, um, in the discovery process, um, we found that the school psychologist had written on private notes that were held back from us for a while. It's It's a long story but it said in the notes, what if this mother, what if this child is not autistic and the mother is seeking attention? What? Like Uh, a
0: Munchausen's by proxy thing? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, come
1: on. Well, bring that on yourself. (laughs) But that is to that's, that's so I could demonstrate for you just how, what the dark ages were for autism back then, because it was so not a part of What everybody talks about—that this mother must be an outlier, like because you know we've not even had a kid with autism. So what is what's she all about? Mm -hmm. So the point is, uh, it's a very long story, but I ended up prevailing on that case. We got all our attorneys' fees back. I mean, everything came back to us. But as a result of bringing my district to to a hearing because we were in a disagreement, we prevailed and he got placed at a private special education school, where he remained until the end of his 21st uh, birthday year.
0: Were they able to transfer his funding to then, because that was granted as as him leaving the district, you know, going to that other program?
1: Could the money transfer with him that's paid to the state? Right, so that's the way the um, in the IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Education mm-hmm. Act. By the way, as a result of all of this, I became a special education advocate, yes. which is what I've done for the last twenty plus years. And so the IDEA, when, and the IDEA states that your child must free, receive a free, appropriate public education mm-hmm. and placement, there's a continuum of placement obviously the, the one we, we want the most for all of our children is to be in their local public school and to be have access and be included in general education to the maximum extent possible with their peers. But when that can't happen, and then- and the least and the child's least restrictive environment isn't in the general education classroom and or at the public school that continuum comes into play and that includes out of district placements it can go as it can it can be home it can be a it can be a hospital now does anybody really want their child to be educated at home that should never be a long term sustainable solution to anything but placement pl- placement does not just include your local your public school so yes, the district su- financially supported his placement at the private school.
0: Was he able to stay at the private school until t- is it twenty
1: one or twenty two in Connecticut? Yes, it's well. It just went to twenty two because there was a separate um laws a lawsuit uh, about if 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 typically developing non special education students can access. Um, What is it uh, when you get your GED Mm -hmm. um, until they're 22, then you have to give that same right to students who have disabilities. So it had been the um, 21, but it just went to 22 within the last year or so. Um, what was my point before? there was another question you asked me this is what happens to just me, staying
0: that's okay, just staying there through that time. I mean, I assume
1: oh the programming evolved yeah. with him, and um, yeah, you know the I curriculum. remember what your question was. you said, was he able to stay there mm-hmm. at one point because let's face it um it, it, it as far as expenditure goes, of course, it's going to cost the school district more money if your child is in and out of district placement, which includes transportation to that place. And at some point, uh, the director did try to get me back to the district. um, But I still did not believe that their program could meet his needs. So let's just say yes, he stayed there all the way through 22. Nice. um, Which included some hard advocacy on my part. um, But that's that's what we as mothers do. Oh, absolutely. No one else is going to do it. <laughs> that's right. As my mother used to say, there's no one waiting in line behind you, Julie. No, nope. <laughs> you have to do it.
0: Well, that's you kind of right. touched on it a minute ago, but- um, I know that um you were in journalism, broadcasting, you were a TV producer, mm. like your career was definitely not disability uh rights. Um oh, and no. so you pursued a degree, as you mentioned, after this um in as a disability specialist. Um so what does that really entail? What does that involve involve?
1: Right. So what happens is you know, when my child was diagnosed with autism and I got him the services that he, that we did and we prevailed in this this Connecticut due process hearing, I was the second due process case to achieve, to prevail getting ABA in the state of Connecticut. We're a very small state mm-hmm. and word got around. And people started calling me and ask. Now, let me tell you, once you've been through a due process hearing, that's like going to boot camp on understanding your rights under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And so I was like, well, I really know how this stuff works. And people were asking me so many questions. And can you help me do this? Can you help me do that? And it, it got to the point where it was becoming rather invasive. And I was just, it was, I was getting to the point where I, I thought, well, I'm going to go back to work now. And then i was sitting down at dinner with my husband and I thought, you know, maybe I should do this for a living because people are really seeking me out. That's how I became a special education advocate. And um, so again, back to what your original question was, oh my <laughs> No, that's
0: okay. Just, See, um, you, I've never heard of a disability specialist, like, oh, I mean, that's what, right. what that actually is.
1: And um, I know all the things that you've done and, right. and brought about, but. Right. So I, the reason that I was telling you that is when I be, when, when I was an advocate and I was a little, I was green, obviously, as everyone is in the beginning of whatever they do, I was challenged a lot by directors of special education who used to pretty much harass me, I would say, and say, well, what, what, what background do you have to be in this? You're not a teacher. You're not a this. You're not a that. It wasn't good enough just to say I'm a parent. And of course, I'm a member of COPA, which is the Council of Parent Attorneys and Advocates. And I went through their training program. None of that mattered. So I thought, you know, I need to do something that when somebody asks me, what's your background? I've got a little bit more panache. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there was a community, there's a community college here in, um, in Connecticut, uh, Manchester community college that has a, a, a track to become a disability specialist. So I thought, well, wouldn't that be nice if I could say to everybody, I'm a disability specialist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why I looked into be, to it because I was really sick and tired of people demeaning me and making me feel like I shouldn't of not making me feel, but trying to make me feel like I wasn't worthy of, of this. And by the way, when I first became an advocate, I knew all three advocates in the state of Connecticut. And one of them was me. We now have hundreds. Yeah. So the, 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 the playing field was much smaller than it is now. Now, no one will ever say that to me because I've been doing this for more than 20 years and everybody knows me. So I went back to school to get this disability specialist degree and absolutely fell in love with, with the curriculum and everything. And that's where I was introduced to assistive technology and how devices, um, you know, can help people achieve, um, tasks and life skills. And, so a disability specialist is is a generalist but it can t- you can go on different tracks with it mm-hmm. people can go into social work people can go into working for an agency a, a disability related agency um for me i went into it just for the general knowledge to understand the trends and issues that impact people with disabilities wow well and um
0: i think i i'm guessing through your research early on with the lawsuit um I would think that IEPs were a thing, but probably nowhere near in depth as they are now. And one thing that I see trending, I mean, I hate to say trending, but I see on social media all the time are people talking about either bad experiences, with IEPs, not knowing exactly what they're allowed to do and say and who they can bring and all of these things. So um, I know that I'm sure I shouldn't say I know, but I'm sure that your role is very well versed in the IEP meeting and everything having to do with that. So can you talk a little bit about IEPs and what you've discovered? That's very important. I think you have a cheat sheet for people on your website. That's free.
1: You are and that cheat sheet has to do with life skills. And I know you haven't mentioned it yet, but my, you know, my most recent passion project is the life skills lady Mm -hmm. and it's really, I, I created it over the pandemic. It truly got me through the pandemic and I never had the time to do it before. Cause I'm so busy as a special education advocate, the cheat sheet is more about how to incorporate life skills into the IEP, um, which I'll get, I'll circle back to, but your, your original question being, you know, how do I, how do I help people through the IEP process? Is that the question? Well, yeah, but I guess, I mean, we can
0: kind of go back a little bit. So, um, with the life skills, I mean, I know you're known as the life skills lady, um, on social media and all of the things and through the assistive technology, you started to say that you kind of developed a better understanding and were trying to educate others on the fact that life skills is a huge part of, um, utilizing some of that assistive technology for them to be able to communicate, but also right. to, to have some independence and to develop some life skills. So I'm guessing that the pro the the um, progression of all of that was the assistive technology piece. And then you really understood and valued how important life skills are to then right. transfer that right. to the IEP. So from right. the assistive technology, what what about the
1: life skills came out for you in that? Right. So, you know, when I, when I went through the disability specialist program and I fell in love with just this idea of, te- you know, low tech, high tech, any device that can help us achieve a task easier Mm -hmm. and level the playing field. As simple as that concept is, I, I I was just blown away by it. And because of my background in television and in and in, you know, it was in public relations, I started pitching myself on our local television stations to demonstrate assistive technology. And I'd come on with all my wares and 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 I'd have all these devices that I would demonstrate. And what I was trying to show is that through these simple devices, you can, ch- you, the, some of these things are game changing, life changing, simple devices. So, you know, for an example, um, and this has nothing to do with autism, there's a, a little device that I remember talking about and showing that you can put on the side of your coffee cup. So, someone who's blind doesn't have to put their finger in. When they are filling up the hot water and scald their finger, the alarm—it's a little sensor—and mm-hmm. it tells you when to stop filling up the hot water. That is an example of assistive technology. So for somebody who has a disability, that simple little device is life-changing in our daily lives. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with that concept. And and by the way, you know, after I pit, I was on a lot of television stations um, showing assistive technology until one of the producers came up to me and said Julie our viewers don't want to hear about disabilities and but they didn't and that was that was 20 you know almost 20 years ago the landscape has changed mm-hmm. we're no longer afraid to talk about people with disabilities it doesn't make us uncomfortable as it used to but i was always a little too early for my time <laughs> You peak too early. You know, I peaked too early. So the my love of assistive technology and how it the simple devices can help people with tasks of daily living, right? Combined with the fact that over 20 years plus years of advocating for children with all disabilities, but my wheelhouse is really autism. And as as we were churning out the first Um, cohort of kids who are becoming adults. Mm -hmm. And we're doing a lousy, terrible job turning out kids who have autism into adulthood. The statistics play that out. But what we do know is that life skills, there is a direct link between increased life skills and increased outcomes in adulthood the um, increasing your chances to increase independence and improving your quality of life. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And for me, it's not always just about the um, employment statistics, although those do need to improve. But, you know, I always, you know, my son, Alex is, is similar to your son, Skylar, in that Mm -hmm. my, probably not exactly the same, but my son, Alex is, has an intellectual disability. He's nonverbal. And unfortunately, while I'd love for him to make a lot of decisions in his life due to the his profile, he's not able to do that. Mm-hmm. So I am his voice. And I tap in I, I I think I'm about as in tune with him as any other human being can be on the planet other than my husband. And we feel our way through what we know makes Alex happy in life and and what he what we can do for him. So, I don't know where I'm going with this either. I get myself <laughs> you're on You're so chat. funny.
0: You're so much like me. I walk into the pantry and I'm like, what was I in here for? I do yeah, this every you know day
1: now. I <laughs> need to remind you, you're talking to an older parent here. I was on the, okay. I'm an older parent too. <laughs> no, uh,
0: no, but that makes complete sense. And, you know, I'm sure it's been great to have you as an advocate for the rest of us as well, but I'm sure, you know, trial and error and, and seeing things through Alex, his his eyes and your household and what you've taught him and maybe the way that you've taught him, you know, some of the life skills and that's evolved because maybe the first way that you showed him or we're trying to teach him maybe didn't work as well. So you've kind of danced around and done different things and it enabled you to come up with what I was talking about before um, is the IEP sheet for life skills. Because as you right. told me before we started recording um, and I agree with you wholeheartedly that, One of the things that isn't done in ABA programs very much in school is the life skills portion. I mean, we, Skylar's at an all day ABA center, has been for, since he was seven. That's where he goes during the day. And had I not said, listen, he's 19, almost 20. I don't really want to work on, you know, identifying pecs and snacks and things like that anymore. For the last couple of years, I've said, listen, he needs life skills goals. I can teach him stuff at home. I can have him try to, you know, wipe off the table and help me with things, but I need you guys to like teach him how to put his laundry. in when he soils his clothes at school, they have washer and dryer, show him how to put it in, have him do it, have him carry his own lunchbox to the table, stuff like that, because we were babying him too much. And those are tiny independent life skills, but we have to start somewhere with him. And right. so I would love to hear what some of the ideas are on your cheat sheet right. for people that are for, for free right. on your website. So,
1: so le- before I go into the cheat sheet, le- this yeah. is what I want all parents to know. Okay. And, and the reason that I've done all of this is I've, I've, you know, par- I've had way too many parents come and say to me, Julie, I didn't even know that we could include life skills in the IEP. Right. Oh, I didn't know we could ask the school district to do that. And And then not even really understanding what life skills are. So let me go back to the IDEA because this is a very basic concept that I want all parents to understand. The IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act is very clear how this process works. We must first evaluate our children in all suspected areas of disability in academics. So we have to look at their academic achievement and their functional performance now the idea does not define what functional performance is but essentially and i'm just going to read this to you and there are lots of definitions but it's generally known you know functional performance adaptive skills life skills they're all interchangeable comprise everyday competencies and are defined as practical everyday skills needed to function and meet the demands of one's environment including the skills necessary to effectively and independently take care of oneself and interact with other people. I want you to think of it this way. We all get up in the morning and if we're independent we you know we're typically developing and we can just pretty much sail through a day but we don't realize how many skills we actually need to do that. Mm-hmm. And there're skills that we don't think about. They're the skills that we've never evaluated because they're under rocks that have never been lifted up to look under. Okay so we have to establish their 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 um their their academic their present levels of academic achievement and functional performance how do we do that we have to evaluate so let me go over some of the evaluations that look at life skills there's something called the afels the and there's a whole menu of them. You mm-hmm. don't have to choose just one. You should be discussing this with your team. The assessment of functional living skills, that's the AFILs. There's the ABLES, the assessment of basic language and learning skills. These there's the Vineland adaptive rating skills. There's something called Essential for Living. And there's the ABAS, the adaptive behavior assessment systems, and more. But these are some of the big ones. So you, Lori, just said, you know, I want, I want Skylar to to have some life skills. Well, you can, one form of assessment is your feedback as a parent and observation, mm-hmm. but you should also be doing some more standardized assessments or checklists, right? So, you know, the, the districts must evaluate this area and only through the evaluation do then we know we're able to codify them, right? And specify them in writing, right? Okay. Now, once we've established their present levels, we have to in each in in each level, in each area, we have to say, what are their strengths? Great. These are celebrations. Let's not worry about them. But what are the weaknesses that adversely impact their education? Okay. Their ability to learn, their their ability to participate in the general education curriculum and 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 meet the child's other educational needs. Those turn into IEP goals and objectives. So, if you have never evaluated those areas and then determined, okay, so, you know, we need to teach to those lagging skills because we have barriers in our way, those become the IEP goals and objectives, right? So, having it's so important to understand that process because so many people don't understand that that's one of that's how this process works. Does that make sense so far? Yeah.
0: And I'm sure, I mean, and I've been through it too. When you say things like that, or even just suggest you, you know, you maybe you've done some of the testing and done some of the stuff on your own. And then you go to the IEP and you suggest some of these things. The first answer I used to always get is, oh, we don't teach that. I mean, we don't okay. we don't have the means okay. to to teach. I'm vibrating that. in my
1: chair over here. I know. Okay. I mean, I mean, a All lot right. of parents are so, told
0: know that we don't have the resources right. for that. You can teach them that right. at home. That's not right. education. That's not uh, something that we want to get into. Mm, I know.
1: They're wrong. I know they are. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let's put it to you this way because I've been working with school districts and school teams for so long and and by the way, I applaud educators. I am you you won't find a bigger fan in than I in our public education system. However, there's a lot of flaws, okay? And it's almost like there's a lot of urban legends in school districts and and people get into school districts where there are cultures and their administration tells them here's how we do things mm-hmm. but guess what 90% of the time the, that that statement here's how we do things have no acquaintance with what the actual law is okay? okay so let me tell you what the actual statute says and this is what parents need to come armed with okay and it is the definition of an individualized education program which I will not read the whole thing, I'm going to read this, the part that parents need to know, okay? An IEP is a statement that this is, this is just, um, you know, a, an abridged version of it, okay? A statement of the child's present levels of academic achievement and functional performance, including how the child's disability affects the child's involvement and progress in general education curriculum. This is where most people stop there reading the statute and they say it doesn't impact their general education or their involvement in the curriculum. Ha ha ha. But guess what? The statute goes on to say, (laughs) and it also must meet each of the child's other educational needs that result from the child's disability. That statement is your power pack statement. This is the statement that parents need to have printed out and bring with them. And here's another tip I'll give you. If a parent is ever told, we don't do that here. And I I should actually put this on my website, but you need to write this down. You need to say, Will you please provide me with the written authority that supports your position? Mm-hmm. Guess what? There isn't one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you you know, parents, the whole reason that we started the website, your special education rights, and that my partner and I, uh, attorney Jennifer Laviano wrote the book, your special education rights, what your school district isn't telling you is that as parents, if you don't know the basic, your basic rights, you will, you will have the wool pulled over your eyes. I don't mean to seem like a cynic, but I'm in, I'm in this, this is my business. People only call me up when there are troubles and, and things aren't going well. Um, and I'm sure things go well with a lot of cases, but what you don't know can hurt you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, had you been to an IEP meeting and had the statute in front of you, and you know, you just say, "Gee, I don't understand it to be that way," and I'm so confused because I, I have not that I want to like cite the IDEA to you, but my understanding is this. Mm-hmm. So let's work this out because I think we need to get the bottom of whether or not you can actually do this in his IEP or not.
0: Well, in that and- second part of the statement that you read, uh, it even emphasizes more so that. Every IEP is unique because every child's needs are unique. So That's whatever right. the additional needs are that right. a may need, it might not be, it might be cut and dry for another child who can meet the education right. needs and they can do all of that without the life skills piece. Cause they're right. fine with all of that.
1: The right. functional and do stuff. you do you know that when the feds were putting together the IDEA, they actually knew that. So they don't even define functional skills. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> because you can't limit it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, I, I, you know, see, I it's get very all, subjective. <laughs> yeah. And I get all, this is my passion thing. I don't know if you can tell, I get like all,
0: well, it's your get all career, it's your life it. now. And I so, mean, it's easy to be
1: passionate about it
0: when you have a child, you know, that's an adult that's impacted. I mean, well, and right. even though they're adults, our kids are still impacted for the rest of their lives because it's a whole nother fight when they're
1: adults, as right, we both right. know. Right. So, so to continue, and I know I can be long winded. I apologize. And I know I'm on the Zoom and I'm holding it up and I know that, but so, so I have something on my website and it's called the life skills cheat sheet for IEP planning. And I'm going to explain it to you. It is a one page visual at a glance. Um, You know, I've made it as easily visually easy as possible for people to understand. And life skills are broken into three domains. okay, conceptual skills, social skills and practical skills. Now, the average person, when you say, what are life skills, they're going to think and again, maybe you you don't think this, but in my own anecdotal data, okay, I you know, this is what people think of life skills the whole area around self-care and, you know, personal hygiene, grooming, eating, dressing, and home or school living. Like, you know, can we make a bed? Um, Can we vacuum? Those are life skills. Those are under the practical domain. But let me just briefly go over the 10 categories of life skills. Okay. Again, there are three domains. So I'm going to break them up to the domains first. So we're going to start with practical life skills. Under practical life skills, there are five categories. One, self-care are all the things we need to do, take care of our hygiene and all of that. Home or school living, all the things we need to take care of the space that we're living in. And I'm I'm really boiling these down, okay? Community use, our, our ability to go out in the community, shop, um, you know, use public transportation, et cetera, health and safety. Oh my gosh, this is such a big one. This includes yeah. sexuality. This includes the ability to protect ourselves with medication management and responding to health problems. You know, for example, you know. For my son, Alex, and and this is all a sliding scale of how, how well we can teach each of these things. My son, Alex, can't even tell me if he has something that's hurting him. Oh, so I have to play good. a guessing game. Mm-hmm. He had a, uh, he cried for probably about 15 years ago. He cried for about six months. It was a very painful time in our lives because we didn't know what was wrong with him. And guess what? I felt like the mother of the year when I brought him to the dentist only to find out that ha- he had a half a tooth missing. And the dentist said, we need to get this tooth out yesterday because it's abscess. And I mean, the poor kid was in pain for six There's no months. way you would have saw that or known. Right? Yeah. And and it's it's one of the challenges you have when, when I have and many folks have when we have kids who are more severely impacted by their autism, right? So health and safety is a big one. And of course work. And this is the ability to not only get a job, but keep a job. And all the skills that go into that, oh boy, that's a loaded one. So those are the five under the practical life skills domain. Now we're gonna go on to the social skills domain. And the two categories under that are social skills. And this is just our ability to maintain interpersonal relationships, understanding emotions and social cues, understanding laws and rules, um, manners, et cetera. We know this can be very difficult for many of our our, our kids. And then there's leisure skills. Oh my goodness, don't forget the leisure skills. Leisure skills could include, you know, loving to watch a movie, going for a walk, swimming, bowling, reading. But so many of our our adults get into adulthood and they don't have any leisure skills. Guess what, people? This can be in the IEP. It can be taught. Mm -hmm. All right didn't mean to call everybody people but i get myself all you know okay and then the the third domain with three categories under it is conceptual skills and these are actually the most demanding for many of our students on the autism spectrum i should say who are autistic i know that's a whole other heated topic is it autism is it, it autism spectrum me. Uh, no <laughs> i i'm not offended either but i know there are people who are and so i try to respect that right um but this is often the most difficult because it requires applying insight into situations, right? And we know that can be difficult for many of our kids on the spectrum, okay? And this includes a communication, understanding, and using verbal and nonverbal language. It includes functional academics. So, you know, applying the ability in real life to read menus, to read a sign, um, write, Um, You know, writing emails to people, writing notes to people, math skills, figuring out a tip, you know, et cetera. And here I'm saving this one for last, because this is the one that is so important. And most people don't realize, and it's called Mm self-direction. Now, my son, Alex, that's your, our ability to be able to say, Hey, this is my life. I want to do what I want to do in my life. It's about me. I have to I have to interpret this for Alex mm-hmm. and i'd I'd love for my son to be able to say, Mom, this is what I want, right? But we have to figure that out in a very different way. But let me read um let me tell you what some of the self-direction things are problem solving. Oh my gosh, this is my favorite. Do you know I think that the two biggest skills that I want for all kids with with autism to have is the ability to be flexible. go with the flow? Yeah and to be able to solve problems. Now, even for Alex, that doesn't mean he's solving highfalutin problems, but we've, we've taught him to take time, to assess the situation, and to take time to think about something. So problem solving might look very different for Alex than it might be for somebody who's a level, um, I I never say high functioning autism, someone who's higher on the spectrum. Those two problem solving um, abilities may be very different. It includes planning activities, the skills needed for independence, Think about that one and let that sink in. Uh, How many rocks you have to turn over to to, to make that happen. A responsibility, self-control. Well, this gets into that whole emotional regulation, right? And just the fact that we can address behavior in an IEP and helping kids become more successful in regulating themselves, right? And if you have somebody who's using, you know, who has self-injurious behaviors or aggressive to others, these are these are all things that obviously are can be handled in the IEP. Um, it includes starting and completing tasks, keeping a schedule, following time limits, following directions, etc. So there you have it. These are all of the things that the areas that can be included in what are considered functional skills, okay, in an IEP. Have well, I overwhelmed you? <laughs> no, but I mean,
0: everything has to be, I mean, throughout their entire lives and, and our time being caregivers for our kids, all of these things, it's overwhelming at first to, to hear them all at once. But I know. we're we're kind of doing that little bit by little bit, especially yes. the last one, you know, when you were talking about um, – you know just us uh, keeping a schedule and learning how to you know be patient and to wait and things like that i mean a lot of people do social stories and you know keeping yeah. the schedule and explaining to their child right. exactly what's happening and what we're doing and so i mean i feel like we chip away at them maybe in different orders depending on where your child is um with skill sets but um I, I mean, I think it's all valuable. Every bit of it's valuable and it never right. ceases being valuable no, no matter how old they get because
1: we're still constantly teaching. Right. So the point I want to make to that, you're absolutely right. We 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 don't even realize that we're teaching half the time, mm-hmm. right? But the but the thing I want you to realize is that so many of these things can go above and beyond just teaching at home and some of them are appropriate to be in the IEP. Sure, yeah. Right? And the other thing is so many folks think, that the minute you start, you know, teaching life schools, it's the beginning of the end. I've given up on my child. I, we really uh-huh. need to be putting the emphasis on academics. I've heard Please that. understand me. <laughs> don't. I'm not underestimating academics, okay? Right. But right. functional skills can be just as important, right? And what we don't realize in par- as parents, and I'm guilty, right, is school teams and parents are doing so much for our kids that we probably don't realize how enabling we can be. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty, right? I am too. So it's, but you're right, Lori. It's my, you know, you have to start early, exposure, including them, but also codifying some of them into the IEP so that they mm-hmm. can be more explicitly taught. Lots of kids can learn just by saying, here how's how here is how it's done. Mm -hmm. and they'll take off and soar. But so many of our kids with autism may require more direct instruction, more step-by-step, let's break it down and be supported by a a behavior support plan where they're reinforced and, and all of that ABA stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just want people to understand that it's not just on you. I'm going to tell you what I, I truly believe we are in partnership with our school districts no school district right no school district should be tasked with doing absolutely everything for our children okay we have to be partners what can you do what can i do but remember that there are aspects that squarely fall into the realm of what should be included in an iep mm-hmm. and so i always like to you know when i'm working with with school teams be very realistic about okay you know, we'd love for this to be something we could teach at home, but we can't. They this child needs more explicit instruction. It rises to the level of needing to be in the IEP.
0: Mm-hmm. So anyway,
1: I'll be quiet. Well, I'll I mean, you no, you're fi- no,
0: you're fine. No, you're fine. I just um, you know, and that's my 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 biggest fear for Skylar always has been that wherever we take him, whether it's public school or his ABA center. Um, I know he's gaining some, you know, valuable benefits from, from the the curriculum and things that they're teaching him, but I, I just don't want it to feel like I'm dropping him off and he's at a daycare all day. He's not getting anything that he needs. Um, he's just there. And he's just filling a spot and they, they're just kind of dismissive about what he can and can't do because he can't come home and tell me like, you know, they just gave me something to, to color today. Like I you know, at 15 or 16 and they're not, they don't, they're not valuing how intelligent he is. And that's the hard part about a parent versus an educator, because I've always been very communicative with everyone. And I'm, I am a partner. I will do and anything they need from me. I always try to make sure I align with the way they're saying things to him. So he's not confused. Um, all of the things, but the minute I, explain to them, um, you know, for Skylar's instance, he spells, he uses spelling to communicate yeah. and he's done so that. well in the last few years with that. Um, I understand that that is completely um, opposite and not even allowed to be discussed with an ABA program. They can lose their license. They cannot believe in spelling. What? There's many books oh. about it. They are not yeah. allowed to even entertain that that type of therapy is a real therapy and that it works. So that's my soapbox on that. However,
1: um, so, but, well, first but I, all, can I'm, I just stop for one yeah, second and say, yeah. you should go look at the ABA, um, ethical guidelines. I, I, yeah, they're not, a, I mean,
0: okay. it was in, um, underestimated the book by, uh, J.B. Hadley or Handley. Okay. Um,
1: okay. Go ahead. Go whole, on with your thought. I'm just, this whole book back. was about
0: that too. And I've seen it firsthand. I've even been told that like, you know, there's a lot of research that shows that that's not, he's not really doing okay. that. You're doing that. Okay. So that's a whole hot button. Okay. So my point being that I have asked all the years um that things not be discussed about him in front of him that are negative um you know they had a bad day or all these things. Yeah. But because he understands what they're saying. He is sure. a 19 almost 20 year old speller. He spells words like serotonin and like things from the reading. He yeah. is very very smart. And I have you know, just kind of learned his level of intelligence recently with the spelling. Mm -hmm. So he's very underestimated at his program. I already know this, but it's really hard when you're trying to explain to someone how intelligent your child is, but physically they don't see it because he, you know, his mannerisms and his behaviors are like that of a five-year-old. So they're giving him tasks that are five-year-old things to do or learnings that are five-year-olds kind of level when he is a 19, 20-year-old level education-wise in his mind, even math.
1: So I don't know what to do
0: because they will entertain that.
1: It sounds like, so I have something on my website that I call the transition tune-up, right? And uh, one of the services that I provide is to, and I'm happy to do a transition tune-up for you, okay, (laughs) Um, on your IEP. Because it sounds like you need to take a deeper dive and do some updated assessments and really reestablish his present levels of academic achievement and functional performance and maybe do some updated um, neuropsychological or psychological uh, testing so that it can be established on his IEP, on his present levels of what his actual ability is. Mm -hmm. Now, um, the other thing, too, is it sounds like, and again, I I don't want to rock your boat, but maybe, I mean, you could always change placements. I'm not suggesting you do that. I can't, though. There's nowhere else to go. Okay. But it sounds like you need a lot of more generalization included in your IEP. Mm -hmm. And there's also something called, let me go back to the whole purpose of the IDEA. And it's in the very first paragraph of the IDEA. The purpose of the IDEA is to make sure that we have children who have disabilities, grow up to be adults, who can be to the maximum extent possible for them, right? Be successful in the, these three areas. You ready? Post-school, um, um, post-secondary education and or training, okay? Because mm-hmm. not all kids are going to go on to college. They might go to community college. They might take place in a training program to be able to work to get a job and keep a job and if appropriate, live independently. Mm -hmm. Okay. Independent living skills. Okay. So those, those three umbrella areas, you should have statements under each one of those areas that are driving where you want Skylar to land on his 22nd birthday. He, he leaves school and the next day he's got skills to be successful in these three areas. Okay. And also that you're reestablishing those present levels of functional performance because I, I again, I'm, I'm happy to look at your IEP. It sounds like there's a lot of rocks that haven't been looked under yeah. and it's not good enough to be able to say, we don't do that. Uh-huh. We don't do that. Yeah. And I always like to say to parents, and, and when I'm in at IEP team meetings, is to say, you know, this child isn't going to live at school. This child is going to live in the real world. Mm-hmm. So it's go time. And, you know, look, I, I'm not trying to promote the, the transition tune-up. Here's the secret. You can go to my website, lifeskillslady.com. And on the getting started tab, I have literally walked, I walk you through step by step how to incorporate life skills into your child's IEP. Mm-hmm. So you don't need me to you don't need me to do a transition tune-up. I actually have the step-by-step process on my website. Mm-hmm. But I like to call it a transition tune up because so many folks, too many folks unfortunately, don't understand how the transition process works. And we all fall into this uh th- this pattern of where what the people around the IEP team are saying, we just think that, that, well, that's it. That's, that's the limit. But if we don't know the right questions to ask, we may not get to where we need to go. Right. I I hope I haven't depressed you. No, God, no. (laughs)
0: I mean, I, this has just been my life obviously for 19 years. So I, I I always welcome all information because I just think it's empowering and, um, you know, I know what I need to do and, and, having your resources will be very helpful. Well, since we were talking about transition, it's actually a great transition into, um, talking a little bit about Alex. So he's clearly past the age 22 mark. Um, and you know, what is, what is he like today? What is he doing? Is he in a day program? Does he work Does he
1: live with you guys? Kind
0: of what's his, what's his life at
1: 28? (laughs) Right, right. All excellent questions. Um, So, you know, just for a primer, for many folks who may not know, um, if if you have a child, and every state is different, so you have to check with your own state, right? Mm -hmm. Here in Connecticut, um, the threshold for um, getting into the department here in Connecticut is called the Department of Developmental Services. Um, You know, you you. You have to a have an intellectual disability, so an IQ of sixty nine or below, and you also have to have adaptive skills that are pretty much tanking. Okay, and so Alex meets that threshold. So he has a budget um, with our Department of Developmental Services, and he has a day budget, uh, and he has a residential budget. So. Is when I first started to research, okay, what are we going to do? What, what are we what are we creating for Alex um, post graduation? I started to look into all the day programs in my area. Um, there are lots of areas in Connecticut that have really great day programs. Um, when I was looking for Alex, they weren't the ones that are in my area. <laughs> so, um, I ended up, yeah, I ended <laughs> up, um, working with a woman who was just starting her own program and I had my school district partner with her and we had this wonderful plan for Alex to go to a day program in her agency. And it's very upsetting to talk about. Um, but unfortunately this very young, beautiful, vibrant woman, um, it, uh, uh, has got cancer and passed away. Oh, and it was devastating. It's an <clears> awful story. <throat> um, but I had to make a decision at, when my funding was, when Alex was graduating, you know, my Department of Developmental Services um, case manager called me up and said, Julie, you have to make a decision. I said, Well, there's no day program for me to put him into. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm going to do this other option called self direction. Now, we do this here in Connecticut. California does that too. Yeah. Right. And that means that I take the funds, and those funds never touch my hands, by the way. There's a fiscal intermediary. Those funds go, I self hired employees. Okay. And I created my own day program for Alex. Now, wouldn't I have loved for Alex to tell me, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do that? But it was knowing him and all the work that we've done with him, we figured out along the way, he likes this. He likes this. We know this makes him happy. We know this brings him joy. So that that's how I went about creating his, his program. I knocked on a lot of doors. I had to do a lot of pitching on here's my son. I'd love to partner with you um, to make a long story short. He, he spends he goes every day, to a local horse farm right around the corner from me, and he changes the water for about twenty five horses, Aww. and and it, there's a wonderful community for him there. Everybody loves him. His work is meaningful. Um, it's physical which is great. He loves to be be physical. He loves to be busy as don't we all, Mm -hmm. right? He gets to see horses. He gets to be people. He gets exercises. He gets lots of deep proprioceptive input from picking up these very heavy water buckets. Um, So he spends a a large uh, time of the day uh, there. Um, And then of course we sprinkle that in with lots of leisure activities. And so it's walking, movies, swimming, um, etc. um, I had him participate in an a, another local agency who was doing um outings. and I got him involved in that where he met for the first time in his life a best friend oh, and his that friend my heart oh, I know. and his friend, his friend Dan is um also he's verbal, but he's largely nonverbal if that makes sense. He can speak, but he's. He's a quieter guy, and he he and Alex are two peas in a pod, and they just love being with each other, and it makes my heart sing, and th- you know that didn't happen for Alex until he was an adult. Now, don't get me wrong. He had lots of connections where he went to school, and they were his, I'm doing air quotes, friends, right? Because we're in school with each other. We had connections with the parents. We'd get together, but- I never I never lived near any of these people because I was in an out of district placement and the school I went to was 45 minutes away and everybody who went to that school is scattered all through the state of Connecticut. Mm-hmm. So this is somebody who lives locally and and that does make a difference right? So um what else do we do in his day program? Oh we, oh it, Chores. Um, So one of the things that I wish for all parents, and I know I'm going all over the place, is back in the day when I was advocating for Alex, we didn't have insurance that could potentially pay for home programming. And I know not everybody's insurance pays for home programming. But back in the day, that didn't exist. And when I went to when I was in my hearing, one of the things that happened in my settlement agreement was that Alex had 10 hours of home programming. So from the time that Alex was three till 21, I had 10 hours of home programming where we worked on life skills and chores and all the things around the house, being in the community. And I can tell you that made all the difference in the world for my sweet young man, because he was exposed to so much and ex- and, and really learned a lot of skills for him. I'm not saying there is there, he's, he's not, he'll never be an independent guy. He's, he must be supervised at all times. Um, but for Alex, he learned so many skills for, 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 against his own abilities. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, so we, in our day program, in, in our, in our day program, he does a lot of chores around the house and, believe it or not, he loves it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He loves folding laundry. He loves vacuuming. Um, He really does. So this is a program that I've put together on my own, knowing what Alex loves. And you said there's a residential component. Do you anticipate ever using any of that? Right. Um So- You know, we also had something here called uh, we also have something here called um, and every state will will call it something different. um, Community first choice. And these are federal and state funds that come down to help people participate in the community. You know, I'm not going to get into the laws and all of that. But in the olden days, we used to keep people with um, disabilities in institutions. This is not something we do today. So the federal monies want to support the fact that we want to get our adults out living in the community, living in our neighborhoods. So there are, there are, please check with your own state, there are funds that where you can hire somebody to come and help your child uh, participate in the community and with their activities of daily living. So because of Alex's level of need, you know, here in Connecticut, it's called a lawn, a level of need, um, because he's a bolter, um, and, and he has a level of need that requires him to have Mm one-on-one. And because of his level of need, he also had uh, some residential monies established in his budget right now. Um, if in fact, and when the day comes, um, Alex can easily move into, um, being supported by a group home. That's not a decision that we've made as a family at this juncture. Mm -hmm. Um, we love having Alex at home. We think we've built a wonderful life for him. Um, I don't think that's anything that, you know, I'm sure other people can criticize and say he's 28 years old. He should be out on his own. You know, always. I come from, right. No <laughs> well, way. I come from a place of, uh, you, you, you have to respect everybody's decisions. Sure. There's lots of reasons why people make the decisions that they do. And as my mother used to say, most decisions make themselves. Well, we're not at a point where, that's something yeah. that we're looking to do for Alex. So he's at home with us. Yeah. And he has the support through his budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, that's the way it is. Yeah. I mean, selfishly,
0: I, I don't want Skyler to go anywhere else either, because I know <laughs> nobody is going to care for him the way I do. No one is going to love him to the degree that we do. Um, and you know, I mean, I know right. there'll be great people out there caring for him, but not like his mama, you know, like, so until I'm physically unable to do what he needs me to do, I mean, my plan is to keep him here too. But you know, one thing that you had mentioned, I mean, the the biggest thing we can, we can both say over and over and over again to people is to check your states and check all the offerings that are there and to start checking now, even if your child's only seven or eight, it's not meaning that you're making decisions, but you should know what is available. Should your child turn 21 today, what would be the options? Because it it changes over time. And sadly, a lot of the changes are not positive changes. So for example, I mean, when Skyler turned 16, I already was starting to look into the state of Indiana for um, day programs and group homes and just what, what the options are. Really? there are there are no day programs we only had two covid shut one down permanently the other one will not take him because he's not toilet trained and his you know occasionally will have behaviors for you know whatever reason um and they say don't want to deal with that so we don't have those options our waiver situation is completely broken um you're only able to get the large waiver that would account you know account for more monies for respite or things like that um mm-hmm. if there's like three criteria um my husband and i have to be over the age of 80 um one of us has to be um either deceased or one, know,
1: man yeah. one man down permanently ill
0: yeah man down yep or yeah. um skyler would need to be um in a medical condition where he would need like weekly like transfusions or like, you know, he'd need a Mm -hmm. lot of care outside of just, you know, the the physical things that we have to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we meet none of that criteria. We like everyone else in the state um, that wasn't grandfathered into this other waiver, just receive the home and community supports waiver or whatever, which is, you know, piddly hours a month of respite, Um, nothing really else. It's, it's very, very, very small budget because everyone was grouped into the same waiver. So we all get the same. So Mm. I guess my question and my point is, is that we have never had respite our entire lives with Skylar. We've had people show up once and never again. We've just never been able Mm. to establish that. So in going out to find people to spend the day with him or to take him places, to do things with him kind of like what you set up, we don't have self-direction, but if I were to, um, take the respite hours that I'm currently being paid to do his respite, because I don't want to waste them.
1: right? If
0: I divvied that money out and hired different people, um, I don't, I don't have the options for staff. That's the biggest problem is there isn't anyone willing to do respite for the amount of money that they make doing respite or to take Skylar around for day programs. I mean, and that's a, that's a a countrywide issue, I think. Right. Is, right. You know, we hear caregivers say all the time, there is just right. no respite service. I don't get a break I, ever.
1: I know. I know. So
0: how do we, I mean, what do I do? Well, he's almost well,
1: 22 and well, he's going to be here with me know, all day, every day. <laughs> one of the things that I did, and again, I know not everybody has the bandwidth to do this, but I got involved in our local ARC, um, yeah, which no longer yeah. stands for you know, the association of retarded citizens. Thank goodness. It just, is arc now. Um, but that was the, that was the original, the, I origin didn't realize that. Yeah. And of course we don't say that anymore. We don't I say thought that. It was re-tardation.
0: The Autism resource center uh, nationwide. Um, like I thought that's what it
1: stood for, but maybe not. Well, maybe they renamed it, but yeah. that that's the origin of it. Right. And okay. of course we, today we say intellectual disability, but I got very involved with them and their legislative efforts. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think we all need to know as parents, who in our state is on working on that front and get involved with them? Because if we as parents don't get involved and tell our legislators right. what we need, mm-hmm. it ain't never gonna change. Yeah. And I've and, met with all of
0: them, both sides of the aisle. Right, right. I've even Do even bills for my I've even written are there, the bills because I have legal background right. as well. Um, and okay. I've submitted the the bill amendments to them in right, right. like written. Um, and there was always lobbying? A more, are there lobbyists? myself, of- me? Okay. Like, I mean, well, I'm the one who's doing it all. And they, in Right. The last session, and they it. said that there were bills that were more pressing and, and we'll, more important it, right. and that this one would have to wait. And right. you know, I, I they're think, all up for think, reelection and I'm not voting for any of them. Right.
1: <laughs> I think you know one one of the things that I've learned because I'm also an executive board member of a, an organization here in Connecticut called Special Education Equity for Kids of Connecticut, and we're it's made up of you know not only parents but you know of all the special ed attorneys and, and advocates here in the state because we realized somebody up at Hartford needed to be the voice of our kids who have IEPs and have disabilities, and you know we've we 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 pay a lobbyist. Um, Mm -hmm. the arc works with a lobbyist. If you don't have a lobbyist at the Capitol, good luck. You, it it requires that. Mm -hmm. And so you need to be, there needs to be an organization that can fund that. Right. So I know that's not a short-term answer. That's a Mm long-term lens answer. And that's not anything that's done with the flick of a wand. Um, I guess the other, the only other thing that I could say is, and again, this is where I'm not familiar with Indiana. I only, sure. I, I know, I know what's available here in Connecticut, maybe to find out what the community first choice equivalent is, um, because those are federal funds that come down. I think, right. I know it's at least a minimum wage here in Connecticut. Cause, um, but you know how I found the person to work with Alex and his day program. I put out a plea on Facebook. Mm-hmm. and it ended up being a, a woman who is you know our our just our just lover um a, a friend of mine who I used to belong to the same pool club with her you know and uh, Heidi and she called me up she goes Julie are you really looking for someone to do this I said are you really thinking about doing it <laughs> i like, love you and and you know that was uh 22 21, that how oh, my god that was like five years ago. Since- mm-hmm. Seven, seven, no 6 i'm so bad with that <laughs> 22 23 24 25 26 5 years ago yeah she's been with us so yeah. i wish i had a better answer for you other than to be as creative as you possibly can mm-hmm. and i know it, i think the other thing is you know and i know that this such great work is being done by the what is it the aa the the the, the severe autism what is their acronym uh, the federal there's a a new organization that deals with all of the um, severe autism. The issues. National
0: Council for Severe Autism. That group. Yes. Or, yes. yes.
1: Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're lobbying hard, right, on a federal level, um, for for some of the things that can help parents and 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 our kids and adults with severe autism. But I think what gets harder about when we have someone with severe autism is it's harder to find the people who want to rise to the level that it may take to, to care for someone. Right. right,
0: And I completely get that. I mean, I know how hard it is because I do it every day. Um, you know, the only other option is, and that not all families can do this either, but I mean, we are strongly considering moving, um, as soon as he ages out and just moving to a state that has resources and better supports adults, you know?
1: Right. And you know, action. as a last resort, when I'm working with parents in, in a town, and some, as we all know, some parents, some towns are better than others when it comes right. to developing IEPs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say to a parent as a last resort, you know, you're only one of your options is to move. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's not such an easy thing to do for a family to pick no. up and move your roots and all of that. Um, and, and I, I wish I could speak more articulately about what you do and don't have in Indiana. Um, I know we all need to become experts in what our states provide Mm -hmm. and we need to keep pushing and, and not take no for an answer. I, I, I'm, I find it hard to believe that you guys don't have any day programs.
0: Not in our area. No, it's terrible. It's, I mean, I have one of the best case managers ever too, that works, has worked with us since I was little and I mean, it's just so frustrating. And, and you sure
1: they they won't give you the funds to do self determination? We don't
0: have self determination here. No, not yet. Anyway, that's something I get. Can all your mama bears together <laughs>
1: in Indiana. I know. And you need to seriously, seriously, uh, get some bills going and and work with some people up in your up at your capital who can help you change.
0: Yeah. Even the waiver system, they say that they were rewriting all of that and redoing it because they know it's antiquated. And, um, but then COVID hit. And so they're like, you know, just, it just kind of got pushed to the back burner. I mean, that's the common answer for most things having to do with um, disabled individuals. It's just not at the forefront of others' minds because they don't deal with it on a regular basis. They don't understand the crisis that we are really in.
1: Right. No, I know adult, you know, one of the things that I think is important for people to understand is that, you know, all of our adult services are, are, you know, could be taken away at any minute, because Mm -hmm. I think what we all need to understand is that there are no rights. There are no rights. Well, of course you have rights as a person with a disability under the ADA, you know, and all that. But what I mean is there are no, the IDA protects you up until, you know, whatever's school age uh the the, the the you know um age out is in your state mm-hmm. to provide these educational services but there there is no law that ha- gives you rights after that okay mm-hmm. for services but we as a country okay in our roots have determined that we we want to help people who can't help themselves right and so these programs exist because we, have, a, as a country, have decided this is who we want to be, right? That's why they exist. So, But they're not a given. So if your system is broken in your state, I would say get busy and go up mm-hmm. there with an army of people who, who, can, who have your issues so you can no longer be ignored.
0: Yeah. I mean it's the parents your, and caregivers that get this stuff done. But right. I
1: mean it all but align is. yourself with someone who can shepherd you through that, even if mm-hmm. it's just to say, look, until we get some money and we can get organized, can you just help us? What do we need to do to be taken seriously up here? Numbers, if you went up there on your own and you had nobody sitting behind you to come up and testify with you, boom, you're done. Yeah. If it's only impacting one person, they don't care. You have to show up with your army. Yeah. I have been, I've sat through more (laughs) legislative sessions into the wee hours of morning than you'd ever want to know. So, um, you know, uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. When I
0: start putting my posse together, so anybody that lives in the area, (laughs) even if your child is five, it doesn't matter because it's going to affect you someday too. So this is, but this this is where
1: Facebook and social media Mm -hmm. is so incredible, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the, there's, there's other like-minded people out there. Yes, there is. Well, we have learned a lot. I have
0: learned a lot. Hopefully the listeners have too from you today. And, um, I'm so. going to link up all of the ways to, to connect with you. Um, oh. specific, specifically your, um, life skills, lady, Facebook page and your website, um, access to your book, um, about parent rights. Um, and all the things. So yeah, <laughs> thank you. Well, thank I really, so I,
1: I so appreciate that. And you know, what drives me every day is to help parents who, and, and not that I'm making this exclusive about autism, but that, that is, you know, my, my biggest passion, right. Is to help parents help their children have the very best outcomes sure. in adulthood. And that has to start now, regardless of how old your child is.
0: Yeah. That's what we all want. I mean, the goal is for them to live their best
1: life and us to live our best lives. Right. It's hard. You're doing a great job with Skylar and I appreciate all of your projects and you know, welcome to my life and all of those wonderful things. (laughs) And um, I'm so glad that we're now friends.
0: Absolutely. And I I might take you up on that transition too (laughs) now. Oh, please, (laughs) please. Talk to me. Clearly, I need it.
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, (laughs)
0: Well, thank you so much, Julie. I appreciate your time. Thank
1: you. Thank you so much.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of living the sky life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the living the sky life podcast within Apple podcast, Spotify, and Google play. So you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback and share living the sky life with others. Thanks again for listening.